You are listening to Booch News with Ian Griffin, a podcast all about kombucha. So this is uh, a conversation uh, this morning with Eric Halkwin, who's with uh, the Call Kombucha Company in Sharpsburg, Maryland. Hi, Eric. How's it going? Hey, Ian. It's going great. How are you? Good. I'm good. Well, when did you first uh, brew your first batch of kombucha? Were you, like most people, a home brewer who was just doing a few samples for your own purposes? Yeah. Um, it goes back a little further than that. I, I started brewing because, or kombucha because I used to be a beer brewer. So that's my background, and I think that's what differentiates me from many of the kombucha brewers right now. I don't necessarily come at it from a health perspective or a spiritual perspective or anything like that. It comes from just the beer brewing creativity side of things. I started brewing beer back in 2000. And uh, so for about 18 years, I brewed beer. It wasn't professional, but I was going to go professionally. I was, had a nano brewery to the point where I had a one-barrel system in my house, in my basement. It was taking up pretty much the whole house. I had a, a cleaning room, a fermentation room, a brewery room, just like a regular brewery. I was doing 53-gallon um, batches at a time. I was filling up bourbon barrels with Imperial Stout. I had four taps all the time, all the beer I could ever want to drink and never finish it. I couldn't even give it away. I was making about 350 gallons a year. And this is just home use. So I had to, you know, share it with everyone. I started trading and things like that. So I was going to go pro, but um, I did not because I have a history of alcoholism in my family. So I've been sober now for three years, four months, 27 days. Okay. So what, that was – Yeah. So, so at so that what point, got me into presumably the – the beer, the beer brewery got got uh, deep six. Then at that point, you stopped brewing beer as a as yeah. An alcoholic I stopped wood, I brewing beer in 2018. Yeah. So, so that was presumably the end of beer. But when did kombucha arrive on the scene? Mm-hmm. So I didn't go to rehab or anything like that. What I started doing is drinking kombucha, and lo and behold, it was a really nice substitute for alcohol. And mm-hmm. it made me feel, and I was losing weight mostly because I wasn't drinking beer anymore. So I just started drinking kombucha like crazy. And my girlfriend was giving me, um, you know, the main kombucha book Bible. And I was starting oh, to read that. Crumbs, you know, big book. Yeah, exactly. I started looking at that and um, I'm like, okay, I, I, this is easy. I can do this. Beer is much harder to make than this. I can, I can do this. Because I lost, I lost that. I lost a lot of things during that time, so I needed to find an outlet for creativity as well. And kombucha came along at the exact moment I needed it to come along in my life. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I started, I started small batches, right? And it was horrible. <laughs> Just <laughs> like when you start making beer, your first few batches go right down the drain. And then you do a little more research, and then you figure it out. So, yeah, the first ones were like liquid, you know, just vinegar and horrible. And then I finally got into a 
another a farmhouse where I was able to build essentially another brewery. But in this time, this this case, it was a kombuchery, and I started brewing more like um, forty gallons at a time. So I I repurposed my brewing equipment, my beer brewing equipment, to make kombucha. So I already had the big kettles and everything like that. So now I said, okay, I'm going to start making bigger batches and see how it is. And I wasn't even thinking of a business at this point. Mm -hmm. But one night, I woke up, one night I literally woke up, and uh, we were talking about it, and um, one night I woke up with, with the name of the business. I said, oh, my God, Bucci Call Kombucha. That is an awesome name. There's a, there's a lot of things that go with that. There's a lot of emotions that go with that, and it's honestly a fun name. I said, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to look up on the Internet. If this name, if this domain is not taken, I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to start brewing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to start an LLC, and I'm going to see where that goes, right? It doesn't mean I have to do it. I'm just going to start it so sure enough that domain was not taken so i instantly want to go daddy i bought five years worth of that block that domain in i got a little website i can work with and i want and got a license right off the bat and okay uh, a few months and later i started um yeah this was on the farmhouse in Sharpsburg that you're based in now, right? The kind of old looks like no, old. it was a different farm. No, it was a different farm. Oh, okay. I, was, I was with uh, I was with a, a different girlfriend at the time, and we we worked together on a farm in Sharpsburg. It was a 20 acre uh, horse farm. And, okay. Uh, really old, old. So, I we were going to build a commercial kitchen on the property and a, maybe a brewery, maybe an event center. There was a lot of ideas going around. I didn't feel comfortable about it. I had some kind of gut feeling that things weren't going to work out. So I said, listen, I'm going to go ride, take a ride. I, I ride my bike a lot. And I'm going to take a ride. I want to see what kind, of, what kind of dairy buildings I can find to repurpose as a brewery. So within about five miles down the road, I came across this abandoned uh, goat cheese facility. So I'm, gonna, I'm in an extreme farm country. There's nothing but farms as far as you can see. It's very, very rural. And there was this beautiful estate that was abandoned for a few years. There was a for sale sign on it. The goat cheese business went out of business. They moved on. And I rode up this hill. I call it Goat Hill because they made goat cheese there. And I, I got to the, the pinnacle of the hill, and I, and I noticed the for sale sign was gone. And I'm like, oh, my God, somebody bought this place. And there was a gentleman in the front part of the property in the garden. Uh, so I, was, I rode past it, and I thought, you know, that might make a really good brewery. I don't even know what it looks like inside. But it was a building underneath a barn. The barns, come to find out, was built in 1735. The actual facility was built much newer, but anyway. So I went by the property, and I turned around, and I said, what the heck? I stopped. I talked to the man. His name was Frank. turns out he's kind of a, a Mennonite type of individual. And I said, do you own the property? He goes, no, but I, I've been gardening here for years. I said, do you know who owns the property? He says, yeah. His name is Richard Bond. And so I ended up getting in contact with this man, and he turned out to be this turned out to be his second house. He lives down in Kensington. 
And he is a retired Army colonel and an engineer. So he goes by the book, and he likes things very specifically, right? He says, so I, I, I threw this idea. I said, I would like to do a kombucheri, a kombucheri in your building. He goes, what, what is that? You know, he initially had plans of making it a vet community center. Uh, Richard is very much into community, and his idea of this farm was to get as many artisans on this farm as possible and grow an, a community. And I just came along at the right time. So I said, listen, no, I would like to make this a kombucha. I'll fix it up. I'll turn it into a, basically a commercial kitchen. And I said, if, um, if and when I leave, you have the commercial kitchen. You can do whatever you want with it. So it was kind of a win-win situation. He says, okay, go get some liability insurance. Come back, and then we'll talk. So I went out. I looked in the zoning, and sure enough, yeah, I can do a brewery here in the zone. And then I got my insurance. It took about three months or so. And uh, then he was okay. He was okay with it. So by, um, I think it was like about two years ago, I started fixing the building up, which was absolutely trashed. I mean, we're talking the ceiling was down. There was no paint left. There was abandoned dairy equipment. It smelled like abandoned dairy equipment with lots with 10 years of goat cheese. Yeah, not good. So there was dead cats, there was dead squirrels. It was absolutely destroyed on the inside. So I started building, rebuilding it and fixing it up. And I had to learn as I went along because I didn't know, I didn't know how to do electricity or plumbing or anything like that. So I, I learned as I went along. And at that point, I submitted an application to the Maryland Department of Health to start my brewery. So 14 months later, I got my license as a food production facility. They don't know where to put kombucheries. I think there's only about five in the entire state. I wanted to be yeah, in the brewery. Right, five or eight, I think, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be in the brewery section, which is much easier to get a permit for. Well, this took, again, 14 months. It was during COVID, and nobody, there was really no code that was established for this kind of business. They didn't know what it was. So it was a learning experience for both sides. It was literally, I would teach them what each piece of equipment did and why, and then they would tell me the code and how I would fix it and so on and so forth. Yeah, 14 months. So, so eight months talk ago. About, if I can just, just, just help me. When you said 14 months, I mean, you weren't talking to them every day, obviously, and it was during COVID. Do you think it would have gone faster in, like, pre-pandemic? I mean, I, because I, I'm curious right. to know what that site – I've it, heard it from other brewers. It, it's the licensing that, that you've got to be able to hold your breath for that length of time. Do you think it would have been, like, a year or sooner? If it, yeah, it probably, it, it probably would have been a year. Yeah, it would have been shorter. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't talking to them every day, but it was, you know, at first it was every few weeks and then it was every couple of weeks and then it was every week, you know, towards the end. And do I they come out and do they, do they have to inspect the buildings and stuff? Oh yeah. Yep. Uh -huh. So they come out, they arrange a inspection and, um, you know, I got my master's degree in wildlife biology and I, I defended in front of five of my professors this 
was way more stressful than that. It was brutal. It was a five-hour inspection. And wow. I had to fix things coming back. For example, the, the pipe leading to the floor sink was one inch too deep. I had to cut that. I mean, it was that specific. Yeah. Uh, there were holes in the ceiling that I made that I removed pipes, and there was still a little hole there. She's like, you've got to fill that in. You can't have any holes mm-hmm. in the ceiling. Uh, the mm-hmm. ceiling has to be waterproof. It has to be food, you know, microbe resistant and all of that. The paint, the same thing. The floor, the walls, the whole thing. Sanitary. So it's essentially a hospital with kegs in it. Okay. So she came back a second time, and it was probably at three hours on that time. And we had long discussions about what cloth to put over the fermenters and, and what is this? What, what is this fermenter? And what, is the, what does the SCOBY look like? And everything like that. Um, it, was, it was difficult. And I just got another right. inspection a few weeks ago. Every six months, they're going to come and inspect me. Now, breweries don't have anything like this. Put a date, if, if I can just ask, put a date on... When all this, pro- when did the first like, uh, you know, barrel of kombucha or, or gallon of kombucha come out of this new facility and get put into? I guess you mostly keg it and go out the door Mark, as, you know, something. That yeah, it was eight. It was it was eight months ago. Okay, last summer then. Last yes, fall. last August. Last August, uh, fall. Yep, I got my license. I think August. Eighth of last year. Okay, and I was. Yeah. And by that time, then you'd brewed sufficient quantity. You filled. It looks like you in your Instagram. I can see a bunch of five-gallon kegs, and mm-hmm. uh, you took them to market. I presume I've seen a picture of farmers market. Is it Oars Farmers Market? You you have a store well, there. There is that. I. It's, that's like a permanent farmer's market, so it's not the one where you actually register and go to once a week on a weekend or something. What that uh-huh. is, is I go to these locations and I promote kombucha, my product. If they buy it, I'm their marketing person. So I go there and I do tasting events as much as possible. So every Saturday I'm at one of my businesses, one of my customers, one of my clients, to promote kombucha and educate people on it and sell it that way so I my initial business plan was to do farmers markets I think that's pretty much a common way to go get right. community get your name out there you know kind of a thing I there it's it's actually pretty expensive to do that and you have to plan way in advance you have to pay the table fees plan six months in advance you got to get these locations you need extra permits to do that and I'm, I'm working in a location where I have three different states that I sell in. So luckily I went with the state of Maryland, so I can sell in any state now. But I still have to go and apply for a permit to sell at a farmer's market. Not that it's difficult, but it's just another one of those things. It's another fee. So what mm-hmm. I ended up doing, probably just by accident, I started selling at local stores. Like down the road, there's Delightful Dairy. They're the first ones to take my product. And I sell at big farmer's markets, permanent ones, um, coffee houses, breweries, resorts, 
things like that. I don't do any mm. farmer's markets at all. I might do one. And are, those, maybe. are those resorts, are those coffee houses and the dairy, are those uh, where you install a kegerator? Is that what the point of sale is? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. So initially my plan was to do nothing but kegs. So I have in my inventory 165-gallon kegs and a 9 by 9 walk-in cooler, and I have a five-barrel system, which is 150 gallons at a time. So I'm set to make about, I can make 500 gallons a week if I need to. Well, everyone wants it bottled, almost everyone. So the dairy, I'll buy it if you bottle it, you know, the, farm, the other farmer's market. I'll buy it if you bottle it. I wasn't prepared to do that at all. So I had to switch gears in order to get my name out there. You know, the coffee shops, they, they don't have kegerators. So what I ended up doing is bottling and also buying kegerators on Marketplace, on Facebook Marketplace. Every time a good professional kegerator came up, I bought it. And if the place was willing to do kegs, but they didn't have the equipment, I provided it just to get my name out there. Just pretty much you do what it takes in the beginning to get known, to get your product tasted, you know. I wasn't charging any rent. I was maintaining all of it. This model is probably going to change, but um, I had to get my name out there. So now I spend an enormous amount of time marketing the bottles, getting the labels, um, sealing the bottles. You have to have them all sealed. You have to put a label on them. They have to have very specific lines of text on every bottle. And it's probably taking, it's taking over 50% of my time now just bottling and distributing. And do you have a bottling line? I mean, what kind of equipment are you using to fill? Yeah, yeah. It's my right arm. That's my bottling oh. line. So I literally, I fill them out of my kegerators with a tube going down, and I fill it from the bottom of the glass up, just like a regular um, professional system would do it. It's just all manual. Just one right at a now. time. No. Okay. One at a time. Maybe two. Maybe two. Yes. Okay. And, and then, of course, what I'm, what I'm impressed by is, um, well, two things we should mention. One is you're a, an award-winning kombucha after, was it last week only, the kombucha conference. Uh, your full Monty flavor got a bronze medal, which uh, was a great, uh, you know, out of all the kombuchas that were available in the conference, yours is one of the best. And then also I see on your website, you, you've got quite a range of flavors, the original, the different flavors. How many different kombuchas are you, if you count all the flavors, are you selling with anyone? Yeah, I have eight different flavors right now. And I think that's a lot for just an eight-month time span. I you know, designed the recipes before I even went into the business itself. I tested a lot of them beforehand. So I have a farmhouse kombucheries. A lot of the stuff that I grow out in the garden that you saw on Google Maps is what I put into the, the beer, the kombucha itself. Um, That's where the again, beets it's a new come from for the full monte. Well, the yeah. beet, I had, well, okay, no, not yet. I'm working <laughs> up to that. What, what I can grow in a year enough to put into my kombucha are really herbs chilies, uh, spices, uh, mint, 
you know, things like that that I can put in, horseradish, things that I can put into my kombucha. So the full Monty, believe it or not, the very end note on that kombucha is horseradish. Horse, you actually put horseradish. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so it's called the full Monty. Because I've never heard of anybody I, using it. That's, that's, so your, right? your ingredients, your ingredients are like sangria, the Hill Bucci Mama Sangria Clove Licorice yeah. Nutmeg. Is this based because as a beer brewer, you don't use those kind of ingredients, I imagine, all those decades of brewing beer. Are you, you, can. Are you just naturally creative when it comes to these recipes? Do you have any tasting assistance or do you just sort of wing it? tastes good to you, you bottle it, and that's a new flavor. Well, I'm the first one out of the gate who tastes it. But I do have friends. I do have my adopted family here that has taken me on. That They're two adults and two young girls. They taste it. And if I can satisfy a 13- and 14-year-old girl, I think I'm on to mm-hmm. something, you know, with the flavor mm-hmm. profile. But sometimes I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I want to see their face cringe because I know it's an adult kombucha. That's fine. You know, we all have different flavors. But I, from the beer world, I was very much into Belgian beers and fruit beers, which you use fruit and spices. Yeah. And the main flavor profile in in those beers is the yeast. So the SCOBY, the SCOBY environment, the environment in the fermenter is very important to what the flavor of the kombucha tastes like as well. And the ingredients you put into it. My, from, again, from the beer world, I want something that has a good aroma. So you want it, I don't want it to smell like vinegar. I don't want it to smell like a barnyard. I don't want it to smell like a homebrew kind of a kombucha. I need it to be approachable, right? In order to put my lips on that glass, I need to have a good smell. And then in the middle, after the initial taste, you want a good taste, initial taste. Then you want something in the middle as you swallow it. And then at the very end, you want an ending that is not bland or bitter. You want it dry, Mm -hmm. perhaps. You want something that's going to go, oh, I I need another sip. You know, I need something to quench what I just had. And that's how I design each kombucha. It's a very complex. I mean, I'm I'm impressed because what you just walked through there in the last – 30 seconds is exactly, you know, I was part of the tasting panel for the kombucha awards. I was one of eight and I was the least, I mean, I'm a home brewer. I've drunk kombucha for 12 years, um, but there was two or three uh, people on that panel who talk exactly like you did. And, and the judging, you probably got copies of the feedback forms. Uh, It's everything from appearance, aroma, taste, finish, Mm -hmm. mouthfeel. And to those who are interested in the kombucha magazine in the symbiosis magazine uh we have what's called a flavor wheel uh that that uh, kombuchas are given um they are uh, sort of all kombucha drinkers can refer to in the same way the wine industry has there and the beer industry has theirs. Mm-hmm. so just to wrap up here um how did this get financed is it all bootstrapped from your savings <laughs> yeah it's all bootstrapped from my savings. I am a very frugal person. I also have a second job with the federal government. So I am a wildlife biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service still. And oh. I saved as much as I possibly could. I live very simply. And since, oh, 
for about 20 years, I've been saving money. So mm-hmm. I was able to store enough money to build this brewery and buy all the equipment without any loans at all. And now, if you had to put a very general round number on it, are you talking, what, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000? I mean, just to give people an idea I of would, what kind of investment. I would say initially I thought it was going to be about $30,000. Well, you know, you got to triple that and add a little bit more. So I would say overall with all the equipment and all the effort I put into the brewery and everything, I would say it would be around 120000 Okay, okay. And and that's going to take a while to, before the sales cover the cost, but you now can produce, like you say, 500 gallons a week. Right. That you can, if, yeah, if you, I'm able if to do that. got the demand. And, and how are you finding... How are you finding the demand? Um, is it healthy in terms of the acceptance? Because it's kombucha making inroads into that part of, of uh, Maryland. Yes. Uh, surprisingly, it's growing. Probably, it's almost. I can't say doubling. It's it's growing probably thirty percent every few weeks. I'm at the point now, really? Ian, where I I have to slow down because I can't keep up with the demand. Um, and so now I have to streamline my efforts, like the bottling. That I, I have to fix that. I have to get more streamlined or else I can't continue doing what I'm doing because, it's, again, it's just me. Initial, my initial planning on this project, this brewery, was to be at least two people. Well, it ended up just being me, and I just still went forward with it because that's – what you do you have to do it um you've got your day job as well but i didn't realize that. i have You're... my yeah since since covid if covid did not happen i would not be able to do this this dream of mine because i've been telling i can work yeah, from home right. so my my home Pop is right across the, the wall it's in my inventory room my desk that's where i work yeah i work yeah. In the brewery. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're going back in May, so now I'm only going to have about half my time on both jobs. So I have right. to figure out what to do. Who can I hire? If I'm going to hire, who am I going to train? What am I going to not do? So I'm already thinking yeah. of limiting my bottle choices down to four. I can't do eight. It's going to be four, maybe with a seasonal. I want to push my cakes. That's really what I want to Well, do. you know, uh, Eric, some of the creative ideas I've heard, and this was part of the Kombucha Conference, they had a creative financing panel. Um, if you didn't go to that, you can check the video. And it seems some, some kombucha brewers get grants, especially if they, you can employ maybe even part-time, a, you know, a high school grad or somebody to come in and do some of the grunt work and uh, – it sounds like you're poised, though, and, and the fact you say you can't keep up with demand, I've heard that time and again from different brewers in different parts of the world. It, it's like you, you, you've, got a, you've got a good problem. It's not like people are you know, returning it unused or anything like that. And, and yeah. I did, yeah, I learned so much at that Kombucha Con. That was the first time I did a conference that wasn't uh, – biology, fish and wildlife related. It was just for me and my new business. Mm-hmm. And I learned 
so much and I met so many wonderful people um, and made great connections. But yeah, I was at that talk about creative financing and I do intend to to uh, hit up the small business association nearby and look at, at more funding because I need a bigger juicer and I need a bottler. And we're talking, that could be $100,000 right there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. good luck as you, as you continue with uh, Call in, in Sharpsburg, Maryland. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for sharing Thank all that much. detail on how you launched your business. Thank you. I, it was a great talk. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Booch News. For more about kombucha, please visit boochnews.com.